Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. I am kidding. Yes, I'm kidding. Yeah. And uh, God willing, we'll be expounding verses 3 through 5. Hosea chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Now, chapter 4 began with God's controversy, God having a controversy against the nation of Israel. He was at odds with them because they were at odds with His Word. They had rejected His Word and they had turned to false gods. And His complaint against them was laid out earlier in this chapter. And He reminded them how they had rejected His Word and gave themselves over to all types of sin and violence. And now in verse 3, where we're going to be today, God tells Israel what the outcome of their sin will be. The title of the message this morning is, When Morning Comes. When Morning Comes. And we're not talking about mourning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. We're talking about mourning as in weeping. The Bible says sin will destroy any nation that turns its back on God. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be people from every nation on earth that's going to see Him. But when it's all said and done, there's only going to be one kingdom left standing. And that's the kingdom of God. But as for the nation of Israel in Hosea's day, God essentially told them, You have forsaken me, Israel. You have fallen into sin. Verse 3 now, if you'll look with me. Therefore shall the land mourn. Underscore the word mourn, please, in your Bible. They would mourn. Because they turned their backs on God, the nation of Israel would mourn as a nation. There would be weeping in the nation, sorrow in the nation. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. If you'll notice when it comes to sin, the world always advertises sin as something that will make you happy. Do this. Break free from God's Word. It will make you happy. They think Christians are the people by following the Bible are the most miserable people there are. I'm telling you, they're not. I've lived on both sides of Christianity. And I'm telling you, I would, as Adrian Rogers said, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to Jesus. But the world always advertises sin as something that will make you happy. If you lie about your qualifications on your job application, for example, then maybe you can get a better job without having to do all the extra work to actually be qualified. Recently, I saw the news. This is the second time I've seen this happen in the past 10 years. Recently, I saw a news piece that was telling about a woman who had lied about being a certified sign language translator. Anyone else see that news piece besides me? Allison did. That was great, man. I love it. Because she lied on her job application. She wasn't a certified sign language translator. Because she lied on her job application, she got a really good paying job signing for government officials, working for the government. Not other people. Other people had to go to school to learn how to sign. But not her. She didn't have to. She got it easy. And the people who went to school, they didn't get that nice job she did either. She got it. Lying really seemed to pay off. The world says, hey, lie. You'll always get things better and easier if you'll lie. Get out of trouble if you'll lie. And I'm sure she was very happy about her lie. 
until one day she had to do a press conference on television for those government officials. And when she signed at the press conference, all the people who knew sign language saw that woman waving her hands around on TV, making up ridiculous hand motions as she went. It was absolute nonsense to the deaf world. She looked so professional to the government officials who didn't sign. So she fooled the government, but she couldn't fool the deaf. So when people started calling in to report this woman, the government realized they had been fooled, and this so-called translator lost her job. Hebrews 11.25 says that people can, quote, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That fake translator enjoyed the pleasure of her life for a season when she got her job. But when the season was over, she mourned in the end. Here's a kingdom truth for you this morning. Sin always gives temporary pleasure and permanent sorrow. Sin always gives temporary pleasure and permanent sorrow. Sin will promise a man, you will have more pleasure if you cheat on your wife. Why be stuck with just one woman here? Go out and find somebody else. You'll have more pleasure if you'll cheat on her. But you know what? Sin has its pleasure for the season. But then morning comes in the end. There's going to be sorrow in the end. I've counseled people who've cheated on their spouses. And they have always, always regretted it in the end. Never once have I had someone tell me, Brother Richard, I'm so glad I did that. Never once have I had someone tell me that. Had a woman tell me once how she got drunk and cheated on her husband one night and how her and her lover acted like a couple of teenagers that night. But then she told me about all the trouble and heartache she had afterward. When Israel left God to serve other false gods of the nations around them, they thought their sins would liberate them just like we do today. They thought their sins would give them some excitement, that they would have much more fun if they weren't tied down to these old boring commandments in the Bible. And their sin may have given them pleasure for a season, but God's telling them through the prophet Hosea, you're going to mourn when that season is over. You're going to mourn in the end, Israel. And church, God has given us His perfect commandments in His Word. The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. God has given us His perfect commandments. And you know what, you know what about perfection? You can't improve on perfection. You, because it's perfect. You can't improve on it, Brother Doug. You can destroy perfection. You can ruin perfection. You can diminish perfection. But you can never improve perfection. Anytime you think you can have more pleasure in life by going against God's Word, you are only fooling yourself. And you are hurting yourself in the end. You may laugh in the beginning, but you will mourn in the end. Some people say, I'd rather go to hell than heaven. Y'all ever heard people say that? I'd rather go to hell than heaven. They think somehow they're going to be more comfortable in hell. That it's somehow hell is going to better suit their lifestyle. They'll go down there with their friends and have a big party or something. But listen, hell is not party central. Hell is sin's eternal 
resting place. It's the final and eternal outcome of sin. It's a place of mourning. You look at our nation now here in America. Our nation tells America you will have more joy if you sin. If you break free from God's commandments. America tells women they'll be more happy if they leave the home and put their kids in daycare and get a career. America tells little girls that they can grow up to be boys and men. You don't have to stay a little girl. You can be a little boy. Would you like to do that? We've told boys they can be girls. We've told the whole world that two men can marry each other. And that's wonderful. And we should celebrate that. We've told them two women can marry each other. And that's wonderful too. We've told the world and and our citizens that we'll be more happy this way. And just look at us now. Just look at us. Crime has gone up. Mass shootings have gone up. Sexually transmitted diseases have gone up. Inflation and our national debt have gone up. Suicides have gone up. The only thing going down in America is our standards, our patriotism, and our bank accounts. And sadly, our love for a fellow man. Why? Because sin will always cause a nation to mourn. It's not liberating us. It's putting us in bondage to all the things that are going up. <laughs> that I just listed. God said Israel shall mourn because of their sin. Look back in your text. And everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. Underscore the word languish. We looked at the word mourn. And now we're looking at the word languish. That's the next thing that's going to happen to them. Sin causes a nation to languish. Now mourning speaks of a nation's sorrow. Languishing speaks of a nation's weakness. A nation's weakness. Sin will never strengthen a nation or a person. If you think sin is somehow going to make you a better person, somehow going to strengthen you, somehow going to set you up better in life, you're wrong. Sin will never strengthen a nation or a person. It will always weaken them. You will languish in the end. Tammy and I were listening to the news the other day, and they were talking about how our nation was spread thin militarily. And it causes us to be troubled when we hear things like that, you know. I think pretty much everyone, at least that's got their eyes open right now in America, I think pretty much everyone is, is troubled, uh, maybe afraid of China right now. You know, we see what's going on. I know one thing for sure, we don't feel as safe as we once did, do we? Our borders are not secure. Our government is corrupt. Our supply chain is broken. Why? Because of sin. Here's a kingdom truth. Righteousness will always strengthen. Sin will always weaken. Righteousness, that is obedience to God's word, will always strengthen a nation or a person. Sin will always weaken them. Sin had weakened Israel to the point that she was about to fall prey to another nation around her. 
And shortly after this prophecy was given, she did. It's historical. You can look it up in the Cyclopedia Britannica and read all about it. It's historical. God said Israel would experience this sorrow and weakness. Look back in your text. With the beasts of the field. With the beasts of the field. What is that talking about? Well, whatever impacts man impacts the creation God put under man. We've looked at that before in, in, uh, in our prophecy study here. But how God would, once Christ came back and the kingdom of God is, restores the world as it's supposed to be, we've read how the lion and the lamb will lay down together and the, the lion will eat grass like an ox. But right now, what do we see? We see absolute chaos. We see creatures fighting each other. I hate to see uh, these films, like over in Africa on the safari or whatever. I hate to see an animal go and devour another animal. Uh, maybe a bunch of lions jump on an elephant or something, or a wildebeest or whatever. And, and you just look at it and think, man, that's so sad. Then we say, well, that's just the food chain. That's just how Mother Nature made it. No, God made it so it wasn't that way. That's the way sin made it. Whatever, whatever affects man affects the creatures that God placed under man. So that's why God said in the end, in the book of Romans, even the creature will be redeemed when man is redeemed. They'll be delivered from the bondage of corruption that they are presently in. And from a practical standpoint here, when God says, with the beast, this is going to happen, you're going to mourn with the beast of the field. From a practical standpoint, I believe God is referring to a shortage that Israel would soon experience in their food supply. Their fish, their fowl, and the beasts. The fish, fowl, and beast. And this would be experienced because of their sin. God says, you will languish with the beast of the field. Look back in your text. And with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. So you see there is a depletion in the animal kingdom because of the sin in the human kingdom. Whatever affects man affects the, the creation placed under man. And so man now is going to mourn because of their sin. They're going to languish and the beast of the field shall languish as well with them. These creatures will no longer be abundantly available to the Israelites to bear their burden, like oxen grinding out the grain, you know, in the, in the grind mill. They, to do their work for them, to bear their burdens and to sustain them as a food source, they're going to languish as a nation. People in America right now are very proud and rebellious. I hate seeing when Joe Biden will put a, uh, one of these transvestites in, in a higher up place and you'll just see them. you see some scrawny old man and he'll have this lipstick on. I saw one at the State of the Union the other night. Y'all, y'all see that transvestite he had in office? He, this man with big old lipstick on and dress and everything and just so proud. We don't need God. We don't need those Christians and the haters and everything. It's just hate speech. We don't need them. We can live however we want to. We're America. We're strongest, richest nation in America, they think. They may seem all proud and rebellious now. But you let those grocery stores start running low. 
You're going to see these proud, haughty, spirited people in an all-out panic. You watch. This world is not my home. Because of Jesus, I'm on my way to heaven. So if God were to let me starve to death, I would have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Those, we have some kind of plague hit America right now. We lose our crops. We get attacked. We, we, we get to where we have nothing to eat. Hey, I, I want to eat. Man, I love eating. A lot. But you know what? If I knew that that was my end, Brother Doug, that all I had to do was just starve to death, I'd have nothing to lose and everything to gain. I'm on my way to heaven. But this world is the only thing unbelievers have. Because they rejected God, the world was the only thing Israel had at that time. When food runs out for the Bible haters, when food runs out for the God deniers, they will have everything to lose and nothing to gain. Because everything they have is wrapped up in this failing world. This happened to Israel back then, but it will happen globally at the end of the world. Because Jesus told us that at the end of the world, there would be plagues that would happen. There would be uh, starvation that would happen. And so when the earth experiences these plagues that Jesus described in in the Gospels and that uh, uh, the Apostle John described in the book of the Revelation, they're going to have everything to lose and nothing to gain. It's coming What happened to Israel then will happen to us in the end. What we are reading here in the book of Hosea is history for them. It's prophecy for us. Does that make sense? That's what it is. Nevertheless, Hosea said, look in verse 4, Yet let no man strive nor reprove another. Don't fight. Don't correct anybody. I believe what God is saying here is when you hear this message that's being prophesied against you, Israel, don't shoot the messenger. I'm telling you some bad news, but don't let any man strive or reprove each other. Don't get mad and strive with your God, or or, or don't get upset with the people who agree with God and who are calling you out for your sin. This is what the world tends to do. You tell them they will have to answer to God for their sins, and they'll get mad at you. But attacking the messenger doesn't change the message. Oh, people hate what I have to say because I'm going to tell them what the Bible says about their sin. I'm going to tell them that there's a point that a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. But attacking the messenger doesn't change the reality of the message. The world can throw a tantrum all it wants to. But it will have no impact on the Word of God and the sentence of judgment pronounced against it. God said, don't strive or fight over this message. Look back in your text. For thy people are as they that strive with the priest. So the striving he's talking about, the rebuking God's talking about, that he's telling Israel not to do, he's talking about telling them, don't shoot the messenger. Don't get on to the people who are telling you God's word. He said, because your people right now are like people who strive with the priests. Now what he's saying is, is referring back to the Old Testament law. The priests were responsible for teaching people the law of God. They were responsible for telling them the truth for their welfare. 
So if the people strove with the priests who were teaching them the Bible, then they were striving against the man who was trying to help them by telling them the truth. So it was a sin. And uh, without the truth, a nation will perish in their sins. So God imposed the death penalty under the Old Testament law upon anyone who strove with the priest. I tell you what, man, there'd be a lot of dead people in my life. <laughs> man, I've had some church trouble in my life when I was a young preacher. But, uh, but God imposed the death penalty upon anybody that strove with the priest by not hearkening to his word. Write in your margins uh, of your Bible or in your notes if you're taking notes. Write Deuteronomy 17 verse 12. Deuteronomy 17, verse 12, which says this, And the man who acteth presumptuous, uh, acteth with presumption. Now, to act with presumption means to do on your own without God saying so. Just to do on your own. Say, now nah, I'm going to do this. I don't care what the Bible says. And the man that who acteth with presumption so as not to hearken unto the priest who is standing to serve their Jehovah thy God, or unto the judge, even that man hath died. And thou hast put away the evil thing from Israel. So if a person fought against the priest who was trying to tell them the truth, or against the judge of, of, uh, who was trying to execute God's law, and hold people to the standards of God's law, and they, they, they rose up against them, they were to be put to death. And by doing so, you put away the evil from the nation. And so God is saying, don't make that mistake. Hosea is telling you the truth. We're trying to warn you about what's to come. So don't strive with the messenger. Don't strive with the priests. Here's a kingdom truth. Fighting against the messengers of God's word won't liberate you from the message of God's word. Fighting against the messenger of God's word will not liberate you from the message of God's Word. It will only harden your heart and seal your destruction. Which is what happened to Pharaoh. He's learning about that this morning. Verse 5, as we begin to close, Therefore, God said, Shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night. Day and night there would be destruction and death, the loss of liberty as they were conquered by their nations, as the plagues that God poured out upon that land came upon them. He said, you will fall in the day and the prophet will fall in the night. Now the prophet here is not the prophet of God. The prophet here is the false prophet, the false teacher. You people love to have false teachers, don't they? They love to have them get up and say, every day can be a Friday. I think that's one of the books that Joel Stein wrote, Every Day a Friday, something like that. Uh, but, you, you know, all these wonderful, good, feel-good things, you know, and everything's going to be okay, and Jesus loves everybody. Have y'all noticed there's a res uh, just this big surge about Jesus right now? In the films, uh, uh, just uh, and the the thing that I'm seeing is though a lot of the 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 information that's coming up about Jesus and getting popular again is not biblical. It's not biblical. It's making an, it's making another Jesus popular, and by doing so, you're diminishing the true Jesus. It's very very sad. 
But uh, th- those people who have another Jesus, as the Bible said, would happen in the end days. They would be seeking teachers that would scratch their ears and make them feel good with their words. He says, you're going to fall in the day because you've rejected my word. And the prophets you've been listening to, they'll fall in the night. Day and night, you both will perish together. Anyone who listens to a false prophet, I don't care what they promise you. The Bible says that the people who go to the lake of fire will go there with the devil and his angels. The people who invented the rebellion against God, the creatures who invented the rebellion against God, will perish along with the people who follow them in that rebellion, whether man or angels. Those who rejected God's word would fall. The false prophets who encouraged them in their wickedness and denied God's rebuke uh, uh, would fall with them. Look back in your text. And I, God said, will destroy thy mother. I will destroy thy mother. What's God talking about? Israel's mother was the nation of Israel. That's how they got there. They were given birth as an Israelite. And their nation, which gave them life, having descended down from the man Israel, whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel, now that nation, that mother that gave them life and looked out for them and cared for them and nurtured them like a mama does her child, God says, I'll destroy your mother. What he's saying is, I'll destroy your kingdom. I'll destroy your nation. I'll destroy you. I'll destroy your prophet. That is your false religion. I'll put an end to it. I'll destroy your nation. An enemy nation will come and conquer your nation. I'll wipe you out and scatter you in the world and bring you into bondage. Your mother. That's amazing, isn't it? Israel was born physically by the nation of Israel. That's another reason Jesus said to the Jews, you must be born again. You see? Because you can wipe out the nation of Israel. You can wipe out their mother who's been born in the flesh. But those of us who've been born in the spirit by faith in Jesus Christ, you can't wipe our mother out. Woo, man. You can wipe out that mother, but not ours. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Write this down in your notes, in your margin of your Bible. The Bible talks about two Jerusalems. The Jerusalem that is earthly, the Jerusalem that is heavenly. The Jews were physically born into the earthly Jerusalem. When they put their faith in Christ, they're born again into the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem is the spiritual mother. The earthly Jerusalem is the physical mother. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And those who are born again have what kind of life? Eternal life. 
Everlasting life is what he told Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish like the earthly mother, but have everlasting life, being born of the Jerusalem above. The true kingdom of God is what God is saying here. He said, I will destroy your mother. Listen to what God says through the the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4, verse 6. God says, Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Isn't that good? I will destroy your mother. But God will never, ever destroy the mother of those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. That's the Jerusalem above. The gospel message. The eternal covenant that God made with Jesus and passed down to us through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now through the church. He will never destroy our mother. Our mother is eternal in the heavens. And coming again through its heavenly king. The Lord Jesus Christ. Our God and our Savior. Oh, listen. Again, this is history and it's prophecy. One day the Bible says in the book of the Revelation. The kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of our God. And of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The only kingdom left standing. Will be the kingdom. Of Jesus Christ. Where he will rule and reign forever. And the only way to be. uh, A citizen of that kingdom. Is to be born again. Through the gospel message. Through faith. In God's son. Accepting him. As your savior and lord. With that, we'll go ahead and close, and Lord willing, we'll take back up next Sunday as we get back into God's Word and continue hearing the message that God gave to the prophet Hosea. Isn't it amazing how timely God's Word always is? It's always relevant, no matter how long ago it was written. It's fresh today, and it's fresh for tomorrow, too. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious Word. We're so grateful, Father. That you've given us your truth. We don't want to be as those that strive with the priest or the judge. We want to be those, Lord, that take heed to your word. That yield to your truth. That acknowledge our wrong. And that uh, embrace you as our only Lord and God. And as Jesus, the only way, Father, where we can be accepted by you. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Father, on our behalf. Help us, Lord, we pray. And I pray for each and every person in this church today that's sitting in these pews, that if there is one who does not know Christ as his or her Savior, that they will before it's eternally too late. I ask it in Jesus' precious name.